One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Red Men TV. It is the podcast. I'm joined today by Ross Chandley, by Ben Kelly from home, and by Sam Walker for this one. Um, loads of things that we'll be talking about. We've obviously got the kickoff questions coming up. Then we'll talk a little bit last word on Newcastle, uh, a little bit about Manchester United, and then quite a bit about you know Liverpool's financial results and also uh, an incredible thread by the Swiss Ramble um, postulating why uh, the big six wanted to join a European Super League. So we're going to start off with friend of the show, Georgia Stevens, uh, Ross, and she's just asked, what is your go-to barbecue menu? Love a food question. Love a food question. Love an answer, Ross. <laughs> um, bit of everything, Chris. A bit of everything. As long as you, as, you need to secure the meats first, don't you? You know, obviously. Yeah. Bit of chicken, bit of pork, sausages, burgers. All about that. Then you're talking maybe a little bit of salad just to kind of even it up. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's it. And beers. What, what, what else? Beers. Beers, beers is an important part yeah. of a barbecue menu. Yeah, I feel. Probably, yeah. I probably should have said that first. What type of chicken? Dead. Yeah. Okay. Cooked. Cooked. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, breast, breast or thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Drumsticks. My man has barbecue chicken drumsticks. Plain? Barbecued. Barbecued. Yeah. Barbecue Barbecued, sweet chilli. Just, yeah, just having, having the right condiments are also important for barbecue. You need to have options in this, don't you? You know, depends what mood you're in. You know, you've got your meat secured, then you've got an array of options of what condiments that you might If we're doing a barbecue it. right now, what condiments are you going for? All of them. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely all of them. Relish, barbecue sauce, sweet chilli mayo, sweet chilli. Yeah. Can I just throw chilli jam into the mix? Chilli jam, yeah. Chili jam oh, do you know what? I did make once for a barbecue. Um, I did some uh, new potatoes. It was a potato salad, but I did it with um, honey and English mustard, mayonnaise. What yeah. mixed, mixed in with that? Bit of spring onions on the top. Fit. Yeah. Fit. Yeah. Ben, Ben Kelly, what's your barbecue menu, yes. mate? My barbecue menu, I mean, other than the classic burgers and sausages, I was I was actually talking very briefly about this to Ross yesterday. I need to recommend to everybody some pork belly slices that are on sale at Tesco at the moment because they're absolutely <laughs> outstanding. Um, the salt the salt and chicken pork belly, that it, so, sorry, the salt and chili pork belly, not salt and chicken. Salt and chili pork belly that's like part of their like barbecue range. They're absolutely outstanding. My mum, every year when they eventually go on sale, me and my mum get, get dead excited about them and she buys them every week and, you know, they, you can put them in the oven or whatever, but obviously they're best on a barbecue. So they're definitely up there. In terms of chicken, I always feel like thighs end up, like, juicier than breast. I feel like they, they stay mm. juicier for a while. I feel like breast dries out quite quickly, so we always opt with thighs. Are you a, is it then, fair yeah. to say that you're a thigh man and not a breast um, man? I... I, I, I I can, well, yeah, I can, I can appreciate both. I can appreciate both, but, uh, you know, we, we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can appreciate all bird anatomy. Um, but from, yeah, from, from, from a chicken perspective, a, a, a very strict chicken perspective, I prefer, if I go to Nando's or whatever, I'll always have thighs. Um, 
but yeah, then then on top of that, you know, you know, Ross said, you know, bit of salad. I'm not a massive salad guy, but I, I you know, I like peppers and onions on my burgers and stuff like that. And then yeah, the beers, the bottles of beers, that that'll work. But so yeah, what's the, the most the important thing belly, for the barbecue for you, mate? <laughs> okay, we're with you. We're with yeah. you, mate. We're we're all with you. Go on, Sam. For me, my my mum's got a bit of a family tradition. She makes this ridiculously good potato salad and I um, mm. got quite a big family on the side and everyone comes to ours obviously before COVID um, and loves my mum's potato salad is your mum doing a potato salad sick it's got she puts bacon in it mayo potatoes and god knows what else but it's it's, it's unbelievable so for us that kind of makes or breaks our barbie if we're doing a barbie without my mum's potato salad we get a bit of a less t- less participation if she's on then we're flying um, beer always for the meat um, yeah, I'm quite a traditionalist, so burgers and sausages. And uh, I don't mind a bit, a bit of chops on, on the barbecue sometimes. Um, definitely definitely thigh over breast, I think, for me. Just just, mm-hmm. just sort of, yeah, I'm a bit of thigh man in that respect. Drumsticks, I'm trying to think something. Steak on the barbecue can go down a storm oh, if you get yes. the right slice. Yes, got to be steak. Marinated, um, got to gotta be marinated pre, pre-barbecue, pre otherwise you're not doing it right. Sorry, Ross, none of this plain chicken guy. Although you, you do come across a bit of a plain chicken guy. Sorry, sorry. It's just a, you know. Do you have lemon and herb in here, Nando's, mate? They're no medium, actually. Oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. I stand corrected, yeah. mate. You're at your... Yeah. <laughs> I feel that, Sam. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all, it, yeah, sorry, mate. It's all, it's all a bit... It's all a bit um, it's got to be man-needed, yeah. Oh, yeah, barbecue's a serious affair. You've got to be prepared. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm with I'm with Ben on the uh, salt and pepper pork belly slices. I did that on Friday for the first barbecue of the year. Got to be done. If I've got loads of time and I'm thinking about it, I'm getting a leg of lamb and I'm deboning it and I'm roll and I'm laying it flat and I'm barbecuing that with loads of salt and chili and stuff like that, right? Because you get like there's almost three cuts on a leg, so you can have individual like, and it all tastes slightly different. It's fucking amazing to be honest with you. And there's got to be ratatouille there, and there's got to be baked beans and baked potatoes to add on to what you guys have said. I'm always about baked beans, oh, wow. massively overcooked, fucking an hour in the pan, so there's barely any fucking stuff. Loads of butter in the baked beans, salt and pepper in there. Beautiful. So you're a bean guy. I am a bean guy, big time, and I'm all about the leg of lamb. Um, okay, we've got another one as well, which I think is quite interesting, uh, from Skippy FC. Uh, I'm not even going to read his at, but what would chairs look like if our knees bent the opposite way? Just Ross on this one. I think they'd look the same, but you'd have to just cut them off, wouldn't you? Uh, like there. Like if you, you can't do it on these ones, but if you just turned your chair around and you'd sat like you were a cool, you were a cool kid when you were in school, it'd just be like that, wouldn't it? Because your knees would bend that way. My thing is more, it's not the chairs that change, it's the fucking table. If my legs were here, where's my fucking computer going and all that? Like, you know what I mean? If, if my legs are fucking coming up. Where's the table? Oh, uh, I didn't take it as that. I take it as in, like, instead of bending this way, they'd, like, your body be twisted so your legs would be down here. So your legs would be at the back? Yeah. That's where I thought the question... That's where I thought it was. Really? Yeah. Am I the only <laughs> one that thinks it would be the knees bending the other way? Yeah, I, I, I pitched yeah. my knees. Yeah, if your knees bend... Oh, yeah, I've just twisted right? the waist around, haven't I? Yeah, you've, <laughs> <laughs> you've just basically done what every kid's Barbie doll does and you've just turned the legs the wrong way around. Yeah. It's nice. Um... It's an interesting one, I'll give you that. If anyone's got a good answer for that, now's the time. But Charlie Armour has asked Ben, this is the last one of these, how should the Diplodocus wear a tie? And I'm thinking, I've got a picture here, uh, Tom, if you can show me this, just for everybody who doesn't know, here's a Diplodocus right here. So I think the question really revolves around, did he do the tie at the top of the neck, Mm. right? 
or did they do the tie at the bottom of the neck by the body? Um, I mean, it's a it's a question. It's got to be the bottom, I think. It depends because it because it, it got it attaches to your collar. So if he's wearing a shirt, then is that's going to go round his body? <laughs> so then it's that's where it's going to be. Like you can't you can't have the shirt on and then just put the tie here. That's not how you do it. We don't do it that way. We don't we don't have the tie here. So yeah, he'd look silly, wouldn't he? Yeah, he definitely looks stupid, <laughs> wouldn't he? If he did this tie, so. Sam, what do you think, I'm, mate? Yeah, I'm 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 thinking a bit left field. I'm thinking he's got a massive collar, just the size of his neck. Yeah, because I'm thinking the tie just comes down like ten feet, just little little pin, and then because think about it, if he's got a tie on the bottom, it's just going to drop to the floor, and it'll just look like his cock. So I think if you, if we get like a shirt with a massive collar, a little button at the top there, you know, yeah. down the neck, little pin on, could look quite smart there. Okay, he's gonna look smart. Okay, fair enough. I didn't expect that the answer. I think the I think. Yeah, tie, I'm not sure. I think body personally, but I think dicky bow tie at the top, proper tie at the bottom, maybe. I don't know why I'm thinking that. I've not really given it much thought. Let's just move on. Uh, we're going to get into the big topics now. We're going to talk about Newcastle very, very shortly. Uh, the time for anybody who wants to put the timestamp in when we top stalk and shit is about nine minutes in. So you can do that right now for anybody. Okay. Uh, but before we do that, we've got an incredible um, series, well, an incredible few videos over on the redmentv.com. They've been streaming for a while. Uh, but I think because we're going to talk about the Champions League, here's the type of stuff that we could have missed out on if the European Super League was a. 
Um, so, um, Sam, I've not spoken to you about Newcastle, mate. In fact, I've not spoken to anybody because I had uh, I had to leave the final word yesterday because I wasn't very well. Anyway, uh, I didn't shit myself, so it's not the end of the world. Um, Sam. Yes. Mate, how okay. did you feel after the Newcastle game? Now that we're a couple of days out, how are you looking at that performance? So... I was fortunate enough to not watch all of it live. I was playing cricket and I had a short batting innings in between our game, which obviously meant I didn't get that many runs that day. But um, <laughs> I watched as much as I could around it and then filled the gaps in the night. So I did watch all of the game. Um, it's a strange one because list Ben was absolutely really good the other day, actually, on it. So well said, Ben, on some of the stuff you were saying about the, about the game is that it was bizarre because so much of that game was so good in that, you know, Thiago, God, what a player he can be. Um, you know, we, we ran the game first half. We were brilliant. Yeah, we didn't put our chances away. That can happen. I know it's happened a lot this season, but you won it up. For me, biggest problem with that is, is is what we did in the last few minutes of the game. Um, I don't understand why we're still playing 4 3 3 with five minutes to go. I don't understand why after we just concede the goal and we get away with it, like Klopp calls it present, we're still playing 4 3 3. Our game management from the bench and on the pitch is absolutely shambolic at the moment. Um, we just don't know how to shut up shop and go 4 5 1, 5 4 1, and just shut a game out. And um, it leaves us in a really precarious position moving forward. I just, it's bizarre because that game hurts as much as the Villa win, which felt so good. That's comparable. So it's really tricky to, to sort of. Place it. Sam, why, why do you think that is, mate? Why do you think we can't see a game out at the moment? Well, I think for, for one, we lack leaders on the pitch. You know, Milner's on the pitch, but, you know, it's one man and, and 11 men. And I think really, from, in my opinion, and I, I'll probably get hammered for criticising them, but I think it comes from Klopp. The minute that clock ticks to sort of 88, 89 minutes, Klopp should be shouting 5 4 1 or probably 4 5 1's the better the better um, option. And we have no space in between the lines and we have. No second ball problems or around it straight away. So I think it's down to Klopp. He should have had us 4-5-1 with 1-0 lead going into injury time. And, and that's where it comes from. On top of that, you know, you seen that? have you seen that video going around Twitter of Firmino where he, he just falls backwards when they score? He's watching the play. Why is he watching the play? Why is he not 10 yards deeper with everybody battling? As, as, as much as that represents the fans, but the problem's in the video right there. Him and Curtis Jones are stood hand on hips watching what's going on. They should be part of it, defending that goal for the, for their lives. It's just the decision-making at the moment. Everything's frantic. We're paranoid. We're scared. We know that potentially the next few years of our of our, of our our legacy of this team is on the line. And I think it's all getting to them at the moment. And, you know, that comes also down to my opinion as well. If Fabino shouldn't be playing centre-back, that, that's my opinion. I just think all of the decisions that are going on at the moment, both on and off the pitch, are just... Chaotic is the word, and that, that, that's where I am with it at the moment. Well, let, let me let me just quiz you a little bit more before I get the views of everybody else. Sam, mm. who's playing centre back in that game when that Phillips gone? Well, we've just bought someone, Ben Davies. I don't care if Reese Williams plays because for me, it counteracts each other. You expose Firmino and Kabak to a through ball, you expose Firmino and Kabak to no real protection. They're just as vulnerable as if you've got Fabino in front of another centre back, Williams or, or Davies. Uh, for me, it's it's and the balance of the side better for being on midfield. It, you've seen over the years how many teams have got away with putting a random kid in defence and they get away with it for the game. We're playing Newcastle United, who are fourth or fifth bottom of the league. You know, putting Fabinho in that team just consolidates the game for me. Uh, that, that, that's where we should but what start. About, like, but but about, in fairness, to you, go on. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, like, look, I'm not, I'm not disagree with you. I'm just, I'm just trying to find out more. So there'll be a load of people who are sitting there going, and myself included, to be fair. Well, Reese Williams and Ben Davies haven't had any footy. So are you actually better off playing a lad that's not match fit versus someone who is? And and your midfield dominates the game. To be fair, like, yeah. I mean, I think you can see there, can't you, Sam? That. We did dominate the game, we just didn't fin- finish our chances. I know me and Paul spoke about this the other day, is that like Paul puts it down as like a team thing. I put it down to the attack is why we didn't win that game. Yeah. And I can see both sides of an argument there. Yeah, And I think they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It was both problems. The attack should have won the game. It was absolutely shambolic, the finishing on the day. But then at the same time, the way that the team handled the defence, I just think it's about disruption. Like, a prime example of this is Fabinho takes out St. Maximan on, what, 87, 88 minutes and gets a yellow card. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable defensive midfield play. That's the kind of thing that stops a goal before it happens. If you look at Callum Wilson's goal, it's two passes through the lines. That doesn't happen with a proper DM because positionally it's not allowed. We literally, on 92 minutes, had two passes come from defence through to the attack and they score and we got lucky. That should never happen at any level, any level of football above children's football. In the last few minutes of the game, it's it's shocking, and that's the setup to the team. I'm just trying to pull it back to, I suppose, my own personal thing. The Fabinho thing probably didn't matter, but but I know we're going to talk about it later on the show. But going forward, if he does that again on Saturday, I don't see us winning the game. I think Fabinho has to play in the middle moving forward. But so I suppose it's not really that much of a big deal for last week. That wasn't the reason why, but it was one of the contributing factors as to why the game was so chaotic at the end. If Fabinho was playing defensive midfield with five minutes to go, we win that game 1-0. I put my whole house on it because he just deals with things differently. He puts puts himself in positions where the ball bounces secondly, where there's a through ball potentially going to be played. Anybody else in that squad hasn't got that same sense of danger. So although we handled the game for 92 minutes with him in defence, when it mattered, he wasn't where we needed him to be. And I suppose that's where I'm alluding to. Yeah, I think I think you know so much there, Sam, that I can absolutely agree with because I think Fabinho's best sort of attribute for me, anyway, is probably that his positioning is so underrated. It's it's not talked about, but he's always in the right spot at the right time. And, and Ben, coming on to you then on the Newcastle game, I think there's been a lot of talk about lack of confidence in front of goal, lack of confidence when holding on to a league, uh, a lead. Sorry, towards the end of games, is this where you're thinking uh, the team are right now? Do you agree with that that it's a lack of confidence, or do you think there's something much deeper? Yeah. It's, uh... I think it is deeper. I said on the final word yesterday, so I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I think there's a, there's a mentality on, on both sides of the ball for both teams, whoever we, for ourselves and whoever we come up against. And for years, that mentality was, um, you know, well, we're never going to get a goal here or Liverpool are going to score late or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? And, and that takes a very, very long time to build up, but it doesn't, very, it doesn't take a very long time to destroy it. And I think what we've suffered since the new year has been just that 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 um, we've we've sort of wrecked that image of ourselves for, for, for other teams. You know, I, I, yesterday I used the example of you know Aston Villa away at Villa last year. Um, you know, getting those two goals late on and they walk away going out to hell. Did we not get anything from that? We were one nil up with two minutes to go. And it, you know, if you reinforce it enough times over a long period, it it feels inevitable that Liverpool are going to score late, or it feels inevitable that you know um, that. Um, you know, we're, we're going to hold on to games at the moment. Every, all that feels the opposite. You know, okay, we did it against Villa, but I didn't feel like we were going to. You know, that it, it was more of a, a surprise. Where, whereas last year, in that mm. same situation at home to Aston Villa, needing a goal with five minutes to go, 
I'd be backing us to get it. I feel like we're going to get it every time. And, and at the moment, I don't. And on Saturday, um, I, I I was, you know, after putting after missing all those chances, I could feel myself feeling like we definitely need another goal because we're not going to hang on. We're not going to hang on to a clean sheet, so we need another one. And then, as, you know, as soon as you don't get that and they get the first goal, okay, to be honest, then I thought that we might have gotten away with it and that would be that. But it, even then, it wasn't. So and, and and then that feeds into the teams that were playing. You know, this time last year, did Newcastle press as high as they do and, 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 and press as hard for a goal late on? If the if you know if they don't feel like it's possible at Anfield, maybe not. You know, maybe they maybe they're not. Maybe they give up. You know what I mean? Like I know Premier League footballers shouldn't be, but you know, there's a mentality thing. Oh, we're away at Anfield here, we're one 0 down. We haven't created very much because Newcastle were rubbish. I didn't think they were very good at all. So mm. they, they, you know, this again this time last year they might have been sat there going, you know what, we're just not going to get anything out of this. But given what they've seen since the new year, every team at the moment is going to want to come to Anfield, sit in and try and get a goal with 10 minutes to go because they know it's possible. And that's what I mean. It takes such a long time to build up that invincible mentality, not only for ourselves, but in the in the, in the the eyes of other teams and the eyes of other players. But we that's gone. That is gone right now. And it's the, it's, if anything, it's the complete opposite. I did a, um, a preview of Newcastle fans TV and he asked me something similar to that before the game. He said, you know what, how do we set up? Is it basically just sit deep and hit you on the counter? Is it, he, said, he said, is it that easy? And I said, yeah, <laughs> it is. And that's, that's what Ben's alluding to there is, you know, the mentality shift from opposition fans. Of Dave Sim, Brighton, uh, Fulham, you know, countless other teams, Burnley, come, come to Anfield and just do that because they, they know that it works. And it's also mad that Sam says that as well because all those teams that have done that to us, it seems so simple. Maybe Maybe it's not. Of why can't we just do that? You know, we've been frustrated by teams since the turn of the year that have held on to something, just put bodies in line. How many games at Anfield have we had where we've not had a shot on target mm. because it's just been bodies in front of us? Now, I agree with the Firmino stuff, like he, he should be there, but at the same time, Firmino's probably not expecting a mistake to happen. You know, maybe he should, maybe he should do at this point because he's been used to Van Dijk and, and Gomez or Matip there, you know, where things pretty sweet. But, you know, again, with 1-0 up, you know, is that what Liverpool should be doing? Just go and, you know, block the barricades up and just go, like, nothing, nothing's getting out here and see it out. It's a shifting in mentality, shifting tactics, which is quite hard. But we're getting to the point where we just dro- we've dropped four, we dropped four points this week. Yeah. And uh, John, John said it right yesterday on the final word. Like, you know, you can say we've lost the top four race of the past few months. We've lost it this week. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's right. There was, a, there was one thing, and I'm not calling Kurt Jones out, by the way, for this, but... This is that mentality thing is that Kurt Jones has the ball and he's running down the right-hand side near the halfway line. And I'm screaming at the time, get it in the corner flag. You're 89 minutes, 90 minutes gone. And he cuts inside like we're trying to score a goal. And there's nothing inherently wrong with cutting inside and trying to get link up. But you lose the ball. And I just wondered whether if the mentality was 1-0, it's got to be 1-0, whether he does something different in that in that, in that that mindset. If he's 4-5-1 and he's got one option ahead of him, for example, in Sam's scenario, he probably goes the corner flag. But the mentality is, and I think this is this is throughout the team, is they all think we need a second goal because yeah. they've all been there for Leeds. They've all been there for these ones where we're losing points. And that's got to change at some point. Burnley were 4-0 up and ran into the corner against Wolves on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Take, take a little fucking leaf out of their book sometimes. I know it's not what we've been used to watching over the past three or four years, but, you know... I don't know if desperate times is the right phrase, but you know when you want to look with five minutes to go and you just conceded a goal, it is it is desperate times. Just just fucking shut up shop and just get through it because you know, three three points now 
is massive. And we've seen the you know, Leicester one last night, so it's even further away from what we're trying we to do. We should have been yeah. talking about Fabinho's yellow card as the biggest moments of that game. That's what I think we should have been talking about. Is that that should have been the biggest moments of the game. Let's move it on then. We've obviously got Manchester United uh, at the weekend. The Premier League's form team, it pays me to say. I'm just going to have a little look at the league table now as well, Tom, if you don't mind, mate. Um, obviously, uh, Man City and Man United are none of our business. And quite honestly, I don't think Leicester are our business anymore either. 62 points to our 54. Chelsea are now four points ahead of us. Um, level level games, of course, all play 33. West Ham are a point ahead of us. Tottenham are a point behind us. And Everton are two points behind us, but with a game in hand. So we could be sort of net seventh uh, after this weekend's game. Sam, how are you feeling heading into this game? Because it's not a place where we go normally and get three points, yeah. is it? Well, there's multiple layers to this because before the Newcastle game, um, I was thinking to myself, if we beat Newcastle, I envisage we would be almost where we are now next week, if that makes sense. So I thought we might be three or four points off top four after United, but that's fine because we've had United away. It's a bit of a free hit in my sort of, the way I see the season playing out. Um, I read something from that, mathematically and statistically, which they're usually there or there about right with this. 67 points is the um, is the... Is the top is the top four, and I think it was what, what someone else someone else on my Twitter put it as well. Actually, said they'd obviously seen it as well. Um, Sixty-seven points is going to be the expected number required for top four this season, right? So obviously you got to do the math with Liverpool. We need thirteen points out of fifteen to get that. I actually personally think now we might need fifteen. But the the thing is about this game is is you've, there's a Man United element to this. They're, they're going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place because they've got Liverpool. They've got no fans there for a start. You've got a Liverpool. And they've got a massive semi-final, the only competition they can win wrapped around that game. So it's kind of on us how 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 to, how to push the game and take the game because if Ollie's 2-0 up or 2-0 down, that game might just be beyond him on 75 minutes because he's got bigger fish to fry. So it's on us to decide how that game kind of goes and the intensity we take into that game. If you go and win at United, even though there's no fans, the catalyst that takes you in into... Um, Four games against teams who, is, to use one of your phrases, Chris, will be playing 90 minutes of garbage time. Of will will could be really interesting for us and could be a real push on for the last four games. It's essentially four cup finals, doesn't it? So for me, this game is 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 all or nothing. If we win on Saturday, on Sunday, I think we've got a great chance of being in the top four. Looking at the fixtures of the other sides, I think if we don't win, I think it will take some almighty miracle for it to happen, and that's that's exactly. Where I sit, I, I agree with that, Ben. And, and and you know, for me, mate, I'm looking at the fixtures that we have. Obviously, we've got Southampton, we've got West Brom away, Burnley away, and Crystal Palace. We know how difficult Chelsea's fixtures are. We know West Ham have got some tough ones as well in there. But it comes down to this game against Manchester United, doesn't it, Ben? I mean, you know, they're a side that have set up to hit us on the counter attack. They're a side that have caused us issues with that counter attack and the playing a style of football um, that goes and, and mirrors ours quite well for them to get a result. You know, they, they do what the teams lower down the league do and they do it much better than the teams lower down the league. And not only that, they're incredibly good at getting results, even though they're pretty crap, in my opinion. Um, ben, yeah. do you see Liverpool getting three points here? Absolutely not. I hate, I hate this fixture more than any other. It's like, it, and the, I mean, you know, Everton came and won at Anfield this season. So, you know, I, I, but I would put 
our our struggles at Old Trafford on the same level. We have a mental block at that ground. I don't know what it is. We last and last season and the season before proved it. Last last two years, the last two seasons have been the best Liverpool side I've ever seen. And I'm up there with our worst performances. Both seasons have been away at Old Trafford. The nil nil in the April 2019. Uh, sorry, in the yeah in the April 2019, and then the, the one all where Alana scores late on in the October. Both of them, we were absolutely dreadful. We go away every time, and I, I hate to say it, we bottle it every single time. And it and it's and it's been it's not improved since Klopp arrived. And we, you know we've had some. We've had some half decent results there that you know we, we drew away in the Europa League and Coutinho scored that goal, but we still only drew. I'm right am I right in thinking that's the, I think it's still the only ground in the league that Klopp's not won at. You know, so yeah. it's 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 just it's just an absolute mess. It's the worst possible fixture at the moment that we could dream of having with the with the with the points that we need. As Sam said, I completely agree with everything that he said, um, and and just the run of form that we're on and the the, the mentality, as we said that before, that the sides in. But again. Everton came and won at Anfield, and you know I I, I was actually out with for some dinner with some mates last night, and we were talking about you know the the no fans and fans thing you know as you do, um, and I was saying I used the Everton game as the best example as a game that's hurt us with the fan without the fans this season because you know you go you go one nil down there at home. Um, you know, imagine how loud the ground is with ten minutes to go. You know, even you know, obviously, I know they get they score the penalty with five minutes to go, but imagine how loud Anfield is in that situation with with ten minutes to go, trying to get trying to just push a goal in. Old Trafford's the same. You know, Old Trafford is when when Liverpool come to Old Trafford, Old Trafford is louder than it normally is. It, they, you know, they make a lot of noise. They don't want they don't want to get beat by us. We've I know uh, you know we went away and, and we we scored a couple of goals there in the cup, which is more than can be said enough for normal you know games away at Old Trafford for Liverpool. Hopefully we can go there. We can take advantage that you know they have they've been much better away from home than at home this season. Man United they've been brilliant away from home, but at Old Trafford they've had some dodgy results. Hopefully we can go there. We can do what Everson did, take advantage of there being no fans and just break that hoodoo. Because if we do get a win, even without the fans, you know it it is a mentality thing. We can go there in future seasons and do it with fans, but we need to get it done sooner rather than later. I think in my lifetime we've won three times there. I, I, we won in twenty. We won in twenty fourteen, two thousand nine, and then did we did we do we win early on in my life where Danny Murphy scored a free kick or something like that? You know what I mean? Like we we we. I think it might only be three times that we ever won there. I'm twenty two years old. I hate going. It's the worst possible fixture for us at the moment, and I'm not looking forward to it. The end. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no from Ben. I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's hard to disagree with any of that. And I, I, he did mention in there as well the fact that you know. I don't think specifically the way that we're playing at the minute, because you know, from what I believe, Newcastle we actually played really well. We just didn't convert. Um, similar to Leeds as well, although we didn't really watch much of that because we had other things to kind of discuss. But it's the confidence and, and our mentality and the players going into Old Trafford as well, because they might be thinking about that as well. But they might think about the past two weeks. They might see the Leicester result. They might see Everton at that point might be able to catch up with us and just go. You know, every every fixture seems to be a bit of a kick in the tits at the minute, and like they must feel the same of going just fucking get to the end of the season. Just like we're just done with this. You know, whether it's injuries, whether it's just stuff off the field this week. I think plays plays on their minds as well. I'm sure it doesn't when it comes to actually being on the pitch, but like. No one's really spoke about like their mentality and what they've done and like you know what their mindset, what they were like last week before the Leeds game. You know they got loads of shit from from Leeds fans and probably some others outside Ellen Road going into a football game, and they actually played they actually played quite well. But like even going into this now, of like it, it just seems a bit awkward at the minute, doesn't it? Of like you know John Henry's not come over and, and apologised and we'll come on to the Super League stuff in a bit, but like 
just a load of noise that they didn't need along with everything else that's going in. And they play really well against Newcastle and everything's sound, but because they didn't convert the chances, they, they get punished. And then when you're playing a side who, like you just said there, don't need a lot, are a bit spawny because they're a bit shit. They score goals after the fucking final whistle and all sorts. You just don't. You just don't fancy chances going into it. What about what about this then, lads? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I fully believe this, by the way. Um, but Liverpool are now unbeaten in five. It's probably the longest unbeaten run we've had, yeah. certainly in 2021. Like we're down on it, and of course the, the the players will be down on the fact that they've let two wins turn into two draws. But equally, from where they were two months ago. You know, to where they are now, is there something that they can build on heading into this fixture? Possibly, but I think that was what we were talking about before. Having Fabinho in the field just changes, just changes everything. And I agree, but you know, he's also at a risk of you know if he puts Davies or Reese Williams in there, the people, some people, I'm not, I'm not everyone, will be saying, you know, if they made a mistake, why didn't put Fabinho in defence? Mm. So it's a really hard choice for Jurgen Klopp to go and do that. You've mentioned Man United's attack and how dangerous they are. Yeah, they can build on it, but it's almost at the point where it's. It's almost a bit bit late. Do and we also, need that Phillips back to win this game? Yeah, yeah, it might. Yeah, Ben said this yesterday, and who thought we'd be sat here saying that? The other thing that is as well is we, st- as fans, we still don't know what we're fighting for. We still don't know what the repercussions for the Super League thing is. Are we going to get a point deduction? Are we going to get a ban for UEFA? Now that doesn't matter in the context of going into the game because you go in wanting to win every game. But again, it's another like dark cloud of, of like for me of, of of what's going on. I'm not confident because we didn't beat Newcastle. I'm not confident because we didn't beat Leeds. The teams around us. And we're playing Manchester United, and I'm still at the point of, what's the point right now? Just I don't know, but I did change the calendar upstairs in the office yesterday. Five games, just like done. Just fucking get it done. Can I ask what everyone's opinion on the Super League and and the potential like points deduction and all that type of stuff is? Sam, do you think these teams should get something from the Premier League handed down to them? No. Because legally they've got no right to. And, you know, like I'm sick of saying this, but Ben alluded to something before. It's like corrupt this, corrupt that. You know, it's all right when UEFA get out their officials sent to jail. You don't pay out all the clubs, you know, 10 million quid as an apology. They don't cancel the World Cup in Russia and revote it. Do they fuck? So they can, they can all do one. At the end of the day, a load of people who, you know, made the decision they did for whatever reason, they did it and it didn't happen. And I don't. They didn't. No. No notice was given to the Premier League to leave the competition. All that happened was a bunch of executive left positions in the UEFA uh, Clubs Association. Am I right? Which I believe there's European no legal. European Clubs Association. Yeah. yeah sorry. You European. Yeah. So there's no. League, you can do that at any point if you want to. You might have a family bereavement. You need to get off. You need to go and focus at home. You can do that. They did that themselves because they wanted to move on. But they can't do this. They can't just throw. The players, in my opinion, are what stopped this happening. Fans did a great job of raising the profile of the noise, but in my opinion, realistically, the players did this with the decisions they made internally. Now, what are you saying to players? Well done for stopping this. And what we're going to do now is a thank you for stopping it, for something you had nothing to do with. We're going to ban you from playing European football next year or from the European tournaments. Not a chance. Also, the Premier League as well, nothing happened in the Premier League. It was just talked about a lot. So, So I'm not sure... Again, how they can punish something that didn't happen. I can't imagine that UEFA firstly do something mad because we know how important those clubs are to UEFA competitions and they're just cutting the nose off to spite the face. And the one thing UEFA will not do is cut the nose off to spite the face. They never have done. They want the money. They never will do. When it comes to Premier League, though, Ben, where are you sat on this? 
Um, I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, I, I take Sam's point, but there's no real way of proving that this was all down to the players. The fans didn't make a lot of noise, and you know. It, uh, but do you think the Premier could, League could uh, hand out point deductions and stuff like that specifically? Yeah, then? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 what I'm feeding into there is that you know y- your theory stands up, but we don't know. So then, to be able to say that the Premier League would be punishing the players for therefore, you know, it, they, they, they difficult to prove that. So for me, I do buy into somewhat the the the. the notion from other fans around you know obviously i live in wigan it's a club very close to myself and you know they are, they are now on the cusp of being relegated to league two because they got that points deduction last season they got essentially got them relegated from the championship all the players had to be sold and they're now in a relegation battle in league one that they might well lose i think well if, if, if they pick up another win they'll probably be all right but they're very very close and that's that's that is the sort of the the consequences of their owners running them into the ground. And you actually read into what happened with Wigan. It was absolutely no fault of the club, the players or anything like that. They were just cowboys from the from the Far East who came in and decided that they want to strip the club of all the assets and they just decided that they're going to sell off. And the EFL went, well, OK, that means that if you start doing this, then we're not going to let you play in the EFL. And they went, fine, I don't want to play in the EFL. We'll just continue selling everything off because we don't, you know, we want to run it as a business. So the point is... That you know, I do buy into that mentality of well, look, you know, Wigan fans didn't want it, Portsmouth fans didn't want it. You know, it, was, it wasn't the fault of any of those. But these owners need to be told, and they need to be, you know, put in the place. Really, I mean, Paul's interview with Henry, Henry Windsor last week was fantastic, and Henry Windsor was saying, you know, the arrogance of these guys—they think they can run the world, and they can't. They need to be fucking told that they can't run the world. And the FA and the and the Premier League for me have a good opportunity to sort of, you know, ex- really, really demonstrate to them that they are messing with the wrong game by trying to do this. They're re- messing with the wrong country. Um, I, I, I think that it's probably naive of me to be saying all of that because I don't I don't necessarily think that we will be given any bans, to be honest. I, I, I think that favouritism will rear um, its ugly head and everything will be okay and we'll, you know, we will be playing European football of some description next season. Um, but I do think the, that... The irony one, is we could be playing in a, a new European competition. We well, on. exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do, th- I do think that once that decision is made, um, and uh, it, let's say you know there is no punishment given out, once that announcement is made or whatever and, and all that, there will be a lot of backlash from other English football fans. And I'm not just talking about teams in the Premier League, I'm talking about the teams in the EFL because they were the teams that were really going to suffer because of this. The, the Premier League teams coming out, somebody like Karen Brady getting on a, high, on a high horse and coming out and saying, oh, they deserve punishment and all that. For me, there are no Premier League fans who can really sit there as a, from an unbiased position and say that there should be some punishment. Because let's be honest, let's not pretend that they're not saying that because it will benefit their season potentially next season. You know, the likes of Everton and, and Leeds and Leicester, you know, they're all sat there at the moment going, oh, it might mean that we get to play some Champions League football or some Premier League football next year. Don't give me that. But the teams further down the football pyramid, the teams who have really suffered because of this, you know, it points deductions in the past through no fault of their own. They will have something serious to say about it, and I wouldn't blame them. It's such a hard balance, isn't it? Because I think I think you're right. You know, UEFA and Premier League wouldn't want anything to happen because they need those six six teams or whatever it is. You know, it's a test of your moral compass. So really, you couldn't argue that did happen, but because they need those those plays for TV revenue sponsors, money essentially. UEFA, same thing. They need those teams to attract. Champions League viewing, sponsorships, TV rights, same thing. But the other other side to that is, for me, and I think Sam or Ben hinted at this, is there needs to be some sort of punishment for the owners. But not only that, a deterrent. 
Because what's the same six months time not having the same conversation? Because if, he, if there is no punishment, they always just go, well, we'll try this again. What's 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 the what's to put them off? My situation, which I don't think I could argue with, was to issue the fine to the owners and some of that money go to those lower leagues. That would be that would be a good a good sign of, of doing things. Support the pyramid system. Well, how, in, how, in, could in, you, in how could you possibly find the owners? Like how could you find FSG when they are in know. the Premier it's, League? It's, like, it's, it's so hard, but that's that's you know. You find the clubs, but it's it's them. But again, that's taken away from I don't know transfer fees or wages, whatever else. Like it's no one else's fault, bar these bar these owners. I don't don't know what the answer is, but like I said, the importance for me is a punishment for those, and I don't know what that is. And more importantly, a deterrent because I don't want to go through. I don't want to go through last Monday, Tuesday ever again. And that's what it feels like. We had a conversation around the league yesterday. It's kind of quietened down a bit, and everything's kind of carried on. And the signs of you know buying. Canate and Chelsea fans, I don't think that pissed off. Man City fans are kind of by the by. But oh, I don't want this conversation. I, I've kind of kept out of this sort of at the moment and stuff because there is a huge part of me that wants Liverpool to be punished yeah. for this. And I want Liverpool to be embarrassed to be associated with this European Super League. I truly do. But when you look at the card old fact, uh, the, the cold hard fact, sorry. I'm kind of with Sam, and I'm like, well, it's like it's like you going, can I can I go on holiday? And we go, yeah. And I don't like where you're going. You can't go to fucking Turkey, mate. I want you to go to France. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a bit like it's the midweek. They're not actually involved in the Premier League competition. They they're not. They didn't want to leave the Premier League. So how can the Premier League possibly, as my eyes looking looking in, go? We can find you for something that a didn't fucking happen. Right, and B wasn't actually supposed to affect the Premier League in any way, shape, or form, other than the monetary side of things. Which again, it didn't happen. It didn't affect them. You can't, you can't have a go at your wife for thinking about sleeping with someone else. Fucking have a go when they've slept with someone else. You know what I mean? Like it just, and yet, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It's just a bit like, how can they possibly do it? Like I just, and yet, I do want Liverpool to be punished. I do want the big six to be punished. But also the legality, like we saw what Man City did with FFP and UEFA, they had the pants down. Like mm. you come at a fine with at Liverpool Football Club and from the Premier League, and the Premier League will get lawyers in, and the, and, and the Liverpool and the big clubs will get lawyers in. They'll spend more money and they'll come out, and the Premier League will look fucking stupid. Yeah. Because that's what money talks. Yeah. And the money's with the clubs at the moment, even in this mad pandemic. It's it's so interesting. Go on, Sam. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and and <laughs> there's one factor about this whole saga for me that. That wouldn't it wouldn't be over now if this was if this was true, if if that whole thing was exactly the same. But they said we we've got say fifteen clubs that are going to start this off because they've took the gamble. But we're leaving it open for promotion and relegation. We just don't know how that's going to work yet. More news to follow, right? If that was said in the PR statements, guarantee that right now you'd be seeing polls on Sky Sports. Is the new is the Super League better than the Champions League? They used that one fact there to basically blow everything up. And rightly so, by the way, that was awful and was a terrible model. No one wants to see it. But little singular factors of all of this on everyone's part would have changed the complete fate and the timelines of how this has gone. So I think that everyone's a little bit of a hypocrite. But Ross has absolutely nailed it there. The only thing you can do is what the Premier League did this year or, or whatever. When Man City got that stupid goal against Villa where someone was 40 yards offside, blatantly in play, and when and nicked the ball off Tyrone Mings when he touched it down because he thought that he couldn't because he was offside. Then they give City the goal and the next day went, oh, we've realised there's a hole in the law, we'll change it. There's no difference in, on a much bigger scale. 
They've got to fix legislation to go forward. That if a club does this, it makes it more financially worthwhile to stay where they are than they do to leave. If you leave, you pay an immediate three hundred million pound fine each. That way, no one's ever going to go to a Super League because unless there's billions of pounds each on the table initially, it ain't going to work. That's all the Premier League and UEFA can do. But UEFA ain't going to do that because UEFA are full of shit themselves. But from the Premier League's point of view, is legislation on the table. Fix it now and it won't happen again. I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the uh, Liverpool accounts first and foremost. I think uh, I've pulled up an article here, brilliant article by James Pearce at The Athletic. I'm just going to read a little bit from this. Um, So, they provide a snapshot of the financial impact of the global pandemic on Liverpool. The club's accounts for the year to May 31st, 2020 show a pre-tax loss of 46 million. Total revenues were down by 43 million to 490 an 8% fall on the previous 12 months. However, given the current figures cover only the opening three months of the crisis, the true cost of COVID-19 to Liverpool is much greater. Senior Anfield officials insist the figure currently stands at around £120 million in lost revenues, and it's expected to climb further in the coming months. The club's wage bill continued to rise from £310 million in 2018-19 to £325 mil, an increase of 4.8%. Only City pay more in the Premier League. Liverpool's wage bill stood at just 263 for 2017-18, meaning it shot up 23.6% in the space of two years. The rise in the wage bill is understood to be heavily linked to bonuses as a result of Liverpool's on-field success. The only significant senior signings made during this period were Minamino, who arrived from Salzburg for £7 million in January, while Joel Matip, James Miller and Origi all agreed contract extensions. The accounts showed that Liverpool's external debt rocketed from £50 million to £198 million as they reacted to the uncertainty of the pandemic by utilising their loan facilities. However... The Athletic understands that a significant chunk of this has since been repaid. So, uh, if we just go back to, if I just go back to the top of that and look at that, total revenues were down by forty-three million, but there is a pre-tax loss of forty-six million, and this only covers the first three months of the pandemic. Ross, you've had time to probably digest this all now. What are you gleaning from all of this information that James has handed to us? I don't think it's a shock to be honest with you. Um, you know, and. You could probably take a bit of solace in the fact that a lot of other clubs will be in this situation as well. This isn't just a ideally like a Liverpool thing, but you know we know the match day revenue for Liverpool is like well over a million pounds. You know that's where where the loss comes in. A lot of people will be thinking about transfers and stuff like that. It's not a surprise that I think it's it's closest to two to three million. Yeah. I think the talking's maybe seventy six million for a season's exactly. worth of home games. Give yeah. Or take. Oh yeah, corporate stuff in there as well, of course. Yeah, um, you know the. The wage stuff's not a surprise, um, and this is this is mad because the Super League stuff kind of goes hand in hand with, with some of this. And we all want the best players, we all want to pay them the, the best wages, and maybe this is a point with coronavirus and the Super League where the financial bubble has popped for football. I, I think it might be might be what I'm hoping out of all this. To be honest, things need to just fucking calm down. Um, t- uh, pockets will be tight for the next couple of years, but again, that's that's a that's a rounded thing across the whole of football. Um, you know, we'll be looking to sell people in the summer. Some of those people that have been mentioned there, maybe Joel Matip, Divock Origi, but don't expect major signings in the summer either. Um, I know is that some... what you're seeing now? You're seeing this and going, well, this is the first three months. Do not expect major signings. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, but, but again, you know, we might get major signings, but it won't be, the, it won't be like £135 million, £60 million. It's just, it's just unrealistic, in my opinion. Like, I'd want it to happen. Um, but, you know, how many other clubs are going to be in a position where they can do that? You're probably looking at, what, Chelsea, Man City, 
uh, to clubs, they can take a storm on, on the transfer market this summer. And so, you know, PSG, the likes of them, where it doesn't really affect them. Um, I know the, the pandemic will have done at some level, but they can just go, yeah, but we know what Man City like, you know, here's another sponsor, here's, here's another chunk of money. I know we've had a recent investment, which is to subside some of this as well. Um, but still, you said there, it's the first couple of months. So was it Redbird that got put in like a couple hundred million quid? Five, six, three, yeah, I yeah. think. But that's probably doesn't scratch the surface for the longevity of what this is. It might be three months, but we've been in what, what, this a whole year. Then it's going to be, what, August, so we can have fans back in. Then you're still, you're still playing catch-up for, I don't know, what, a year, two years before you do anything else. And if you don't get Champions League football, then you're looking probably even more. If you're not in Europa League, then you're looking at even more. If we're in this conference thing, like, you know, you've still got additional costs for flying out, hotels, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just it's just a, a vicious circle. It's just, um, it's not a surprise. Ben, what what do you see this and what, what does it mean to you when you've read this article? Uh, yeah, I, it's it's difficult to get my head around. I, I, mean, I, I did read it before I came on, and you know, it's it's there's a lot of numbers. The the, the surprise that I think the most surprising thing was there was about the the the, um, the match day revenue. You know, it's saying it around three million, so seventy eight million so far. We've had twenty six home matches, there's seventy eight million pounds that you miss out on, and I think that's what um, I think that's it's something that I think before the pandemic, maybe nobody had any real. Um, sort of just real perception of you know of how much that you know over the course of a season and I think you know it, it, it goes back to obviously it's still not right that they tried to do it but when they tried to raise the ticket price to £77 you know we were all going oh you know you can't do that because you know, match day revenue. It don't, oh, it's only a small percentage of, 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 of over a season. You know, you get all the TV rights and all the merchandise sales globally and all that. You know, actually, what you know, Pete, I think there was a, kind of a false sort of perception going round for a little bit that match day revenue was a significantly small percentage of what a club made in the year. But and, and I think and myself, me, myself included, probably bought into that. But when you think about it, yeah, it's not loads you know on every individual go but when you add up over the course of a season and then suddenly you take that away from a club it's such a big chunk i mean you know 78 million pounds is a lot of money i wouldn't mind having yeah, that ben, money in that the, pocket. the only the only thing i would say to to counter that is it wasn't going from none to 77 it was going from 56 to 77 which no, is no, no, a percentage no, no. of not, gross I'm, revenues yeah, is nowhere near so I'm, as I'm, big as 78 yeah, million over so, so yeah I'm, I'm still not justifying that that was a good thing to do i'm not saying that was right but you know, if you think about if you if, and and there was only a small percentage of tickets that they were going to actually put up to that price. They were raising the tickets at the time, all the tickets. But there was only a small percentage of tickets. But you know, you, what the point that I'm making is that all this money adds up. So that the, the point was at the time, you know, we, we're putting a small amount of tickets prices up for them. That would have been a, a significant increase in what they were earning on a match day because all that money over the course of the season adds up. And that's what that's what I'm saying about this article. It surprised me that you know we, we that's a significant that's a significant amount of money that we make just from match day revenue over over a season or over 26 games, and we've lost out on all of that. So you know, upon reflection, it's it, it, it's it's good to have these things. You know, it's not something that necessarily I've kept up with in the past, but you know, I think significantly, and it, it would be good to you know sort of draw context with other Premier League clubs and how they've gone on, or all the top six clubs, because we've all I've always considered if you know if we put the Super League stuff aside for a second. I've always considered FSG to run the club quite well, and obviously in this situation, we uh, we, uh, we're only having eyes here on three months of the pandemic. So actually, the next set of accounts will be the most interesting ones. But what I'm seeing here is obviously, even though FSG run the club quite well, in my opinion, 
you know, we're still making a lot of a lot of money of a loss, given that the, the impact that the, just these three months had. So what make, the point that I'm making is when we compare that to Man United's accounts or Arsenal's accounts or Tottenham's accounts, it'd be interesting to see now where we stack up. Probably more interesting now more than ever because. You know, Man United. I don't particularly think that I, anybody thinks. I, I, you know, I, I'd like to speak to Man United fans about it, but I don't think there's many people out there that think Man United are a particularly well-run club. You know, they, they throw a lot of money at players that, that they're not great. So where do we stack up along that? We do. Have Man United lost more money in that three months than we have? Because you know, is that actually the, the money that we've lost? Is it actually a good result, all things considered? At the moment, I don't really know. Yeah, I think I think we can we're gonna go through some of the comparative stuff a little bit later so you'll be able to see the Manchester United stuff and that. I think, you know, for me I'm looking at it going, well, media revenue has dropped by fifty-nine million to two hundred and two million. So it was two hundred and sixty-three, I think it was, or, or two hundred and sixty-one by this figure. Uh, I think by the Swiss Ramble it was two hundred and sixty-three million quid. So it kind of dwarfs the match day revenues and, and the and the, the, the stuff that's being brought in. And obviously this isn't covering the full 2019-20 season either because those figures that I've just mentioned will run a little bit into the next year's financial results. But Sam, looking at this now, moving this conversation on slightly. Do you understand why the Premier League clubs wanted a European Super League? Yeah, you, you can completely. I mean, it's about it's about ambition, isn't it? That's what it is. Just before it's we get much... into this, do you agree? We know you don't, but just say it for the record so that everyone yeah, knows. It, if I was an owner you... and this was lashed on the table to me, I would seriously... Con- let's be real here and not just be stupidly tribal fans. I would seriously consider this. I'd like to think I'll consider it wider than they did, but you've got to because it's your job to. I think it makes a lot of sense. It could also be very coincidental in that they've used the pandemic as an excuse as to why they've done it. So it's almost like a fallback or, well, oh, we've got no choice now. But but you can completely see. I mean, you know, in a world where the Bruyne has just signed a £400,000 a week contract, football clubs are losing £100 million in a year or 220, 30, 40. So when you put all that to side and I put in ambition in there somewhere as well and a little bit of greed or sort of a lot of greed, it's, 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 a, it's a scary melting pot really. So I, I, I can see why this happened, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, I think I think I'm the same. I'm just gonna go through some of the Swiss Rambles tweets and stuff now. If you don't follow at Swiss Ramble on Twitter, you absolutely should. They do some incredible, incredible free content. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the stuff. I did a thread yesterday uh, on the European Super League and the clubs involved. I've got a graphic up on your screen right now. So this is the profit and loss before tax for the 2019-20 season of the clubs. Now we can add Liverpool in between Manchester United and Arsenal here. So Manchester United have lost 21 million, Liverpool 46, Arsenal 54, Spurs 68, Juventus 72, Inter 85, Barca 112, Man City 125, Milan, no idea how they lost that much, but 169. Three clubs have turned the profit. Uh, Chelsea at 36 million. Obviously, they had the players' sale ban and they weren't able to buy players and all that type of stuff. So that's made a big impact on theirs. Atletico Madrid, 2 million quid. And Real Madrid, somehow, 2 million quid as well. And this is all taken into account a lot of player sales. Real Madrid have, have, have shipped on a lot of players in that period. I'm just going to move it on again now. 
profit and loss for the last three years. Uh, so Liverpool, 167. Spurs, 159. Madrid, 87. Atletico, 42. Madrid, Man United, 33. But look, even for the last three years, these clubs, Milan, Inter, City, Juve, Barcelona... Arsenal, while the while the television revenues are going up, these clubs for the last three years are still losing money. So it wasn't led by the English clubs. It was led by the clubs who were losing millions and millions of pounds over the last three years anyway. I'm just going to move it on one more. Here's the profits on... Excluding profits on player sales, operating losses are enormous, amounting to 1.2 billion in 2019. And this doesn't even include Liverpool. Again... Without the player sales, you look at it, Juventus, 205 million loss, Milan, 177. I mean, it's absolutely insane. I've just got a couple more of these because they are dead interesting. If you want to take them in at your own time, either go to at Swiss Ramble or pause the video. Um, but look at the revenues. The revenues have been going up and 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 then last season down. And this is only three months. So expect next season to take a sharp downturn as well. I mean, this is just insane. And then one one or two more, I think it is, broadcasting revenue growth. Obviously, these this isn't growth. This is losses. Spurs lost 108. Man United 101. Liverpool 60. Arsenal 66. Man City 63. And then finally, this one shows you television revenues for the last five years for the Super League clubs. Looking into Milan, they didn't have a green one. So the green is 2015-16. They weren't in Europe. They potentially lost out 75 million when they're not in Europe. And you can see someone like a Liverpool here. You know, look how much <coughs> revenue. Lower than 150 million, over 250. We're over 100 odd million in broadcasting revenue every single season. So Swiss Ramble says Europe is extremely important to the ESL clubs, especially in Spain and Italy. Highest earnings in the last five years. Juve 446, Madrid 416, Barca 392, City 386, Atleti 355. So when we miss out on Champions League or we miss out on Europe, this is a huge impact. And this is what the clubs were doing, isn't it, Ben? They were safeguarding revenues from European competition even when they were shit. And there's the problem, because we as fans completely disagree with it. Every one of us disagrees with it. But as a club, you are looking at it and going, why are we taking the risk to try and improve every single year? And why are our revenues not stable? Well, because it's a fucking competition, mate. But, you know, you can understand why the clubs have done it. Yeah, um, you know, looking at those numbers, absolutely, they want that safety net there. They want it. They want that um, ability, that guarantee that they're going to get the money no matter what. Um, but again, that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. But it is to them. It is in their minds, and that's the end. It's just, it's just the way different people's brains work. Unfortunately, the people running these clubs, they are, they are, they are running these clubs as businesses. You know, not football clubs. So. You're sat, they're sat there going, we need to maximise how, you know, we, we again, we yeah, we need to maximise how we can get this money regardless of what happens to the football team. And that isn't, that just isn't how we operate in this country with this sport. You know, we, 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 you were talking on those streams last week, Chris, about, you know, the way the NFL works. And, you know, we, we, we both watch Formula One and obviously, you know, these are massive money-driven sports. And that is how it is. And, and you know, those sports, you know, they can be closed shops and they can, they, they can be, that they can be, you know, massively revenue um, generating and massively revenue motivated. But football's never been like that and it shouldn't be like that. And it's that's what it's becoming, I suppose. But, 
it's difficult to accept that there are men sat in offices somewhere going, we need to manipulate this so that we always get them the, the biggest slice of the pie, the big, you know, the biggest share of the cake. And that's just not what football fans want to see. And it's right, isn't it, Ross? Sorry, mate, sorry yeah. to interrupt. But this is where it kind of comes down to. And I think Project Big Picture's been lost in all the talk of the European Super League. But for me, you can understand why Project Big Picture was also put on the table again, securing a bigger slice of the pie for the clubs that generate the most interest. The ones that are taking the biggest risk. I mean, Liverpool Manchester City pay more in wages than any other team, and yet they get the same. I completely agree with it. I think they should. I think money should be filtered down better. But as a boardroom member, looking at your football club, looking at your business, fucking hell, they must think, what the fucking hell is football? It's mad. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about, the financial bubble bursting before, because this is all a repercussion of the past 30 years of what's gone on, you know, the introduction of, of Sky, in, you know, in what, 92, 93, Chelsea coming in, and no one batting an eyelid then, you know, pumping money in. I always use the example of Sean Wright Phillips. Liverpool wanted to buy him, and Chelsea just went, yeah, there's, there's £50 million. Couldn't afford it. So what do Liverpool have to do? Liverpool have to go out and, you know, try and earn more money to buy the best players, to compete, to pay the, to pay the best wages. Man City come in, same thing happens again. So all these clubs, and probably you know Real Madrid and Barcelona, but it's no surprise Real Madrid are there because Perez is the one who's fucking banging the drum. But they've done the same thing. Pay Messi half a million pound a week because he's the best player on the planet to try and warn off everybody else doing it. Like PSG, Man City, Chelsea. But it's just cracked up and cracked up and cracked up. And like no one's monitored it. So they're trying to do the Super League or the Project Big Picture for A, for the reasons that you said, but also because... They need that to be financially stable, to pay for those players, to pay for their wages. But if yeah, I knew you were talking about a, a, a wage cap last week, where you, you you know, yeah, you, cost you, cap rather than yeah, yeah, cap, yeah, yeah. Like that's what needs to happen. Just like, just bring it all back down because then you don't need this. The difference is, and what Ben said there as well is like, where are fans going? No, this isn't right. But guarantee, like, oh, you 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 run you run a business. We had the option to kind of do that. I know it's different because it's not a competition, but you can be financially secure and you can earn fucking shitloads more money. As a businessman, you go, yeah, fucking yeah, I will do this. But it's so different because football's so unique that we saw what happened last week. If like, I'm, I don't want that, you know. I'm, I, but I feel disrespected as a fan. We mentioned this on the rally yesterday of them going, well, we can do this because you go to the game, and you'll spend forty quid, but that's not enough for them anymore. And it was. 10, 15 years ago, Sam will go, well, Ben will go to the game, go, go get a ticket, but they want someone that will go, there's a ticket for 300 quid for corporate, they go and buy a fucking load of merchandise, go and buy a load of food, go and do a stadium tour, and there's call for that around the world for all these six clubs, and these owners know that, which is fine from a business perspective, but it's not because we're fucking football fans. It's not a normal yeah. business, and I, yeah, I, I yeah, keep yeah. on saying this, they might have got into it because they think they can earn loads of money, yeah, you've got into the wrong sport, mate. Because, look, if if you're a fucking co-op, you can put a co-op at every street corner if you want. You can't do that with Liverpool Football Club. There's fucking one of us. It's not a normal business. It's not a normal industry. There are going to be... A, there's going to be a ceiling that Liverpool Football Club can, can hit with regards money coming in. I think, personally, that the cost cap needs come, uh, introducing into football. But we could talk about this all day. I do want to do one important topic, though, finally. Um, and it's the survey results and the statement from Spirit of Shankly. Um, so if you are a member of Spirit of Shankly, last weekend on Saturday, I think it was, they emailed all their members and asked you to f answer a few quick questions by Sunday. Uh, the results of that are now in. And I've got it on the screen in front of me uh, from spiritofshankly.com. Following the fallout from the European Super League fiasco, Spirit of Shankly polled members to agree a position on any future engagement or not with Liverpool FC owners FSG. 
the result show an overwhelming yes to a working relationship, but one where we have a say in how our club is run. So the results of the four questions. 89% of people were for engaging with FSG and demand spirit of Shankly representation at board level in relation to issues that impact fans and the Anfield community. 84% of people were for engaging with FSG and demanding a formal recognition agreement with Spirit of Shankly. 88% were for engaging with FSG for Liverpool to join with Spirit of Shankly and lead the reform agenda ahead of or in conjunction with the national fan-led review. And 66% were against no engagement and calling for FSG out. The questions asked were based on Spirit of Shankly's experience with working with club officials, the events of the last week, feedback we received from members and the wider community of Liverpool supporters and our responsibilities as a recognised union. Over the past few years, we raised concerns of potential changes to European club competition and breakaway leagues with club reps, stating that for the majority of fans, success in competition should be based on and depends on sporting merit. Our view was noted and we were assured updates of any progress. We know our views were ignored and they planned the opposite. They knew fans did not want these changes. They thought we would just accept them. They were wrong. The actions of the owners and board have more far-reaching consequences than the relationship with Spirit of Shankly, the club's fan groups and fan forums. Their responsibility is always to act in the best interest of Liverpool, which they fail to do. We are yet to find out if there will be any penalties. What it means for FSG, FRS Spirit of Shankly, it means at present we cannot trust what the owners and boards say when we meet with them. The relationship we thought we had was false. We must use this experience as a catalyst for change, real change. In voting to continue engagement with FSG, they now must make a decision. Their actions shamed Liverpool, but they can accept the values and principles of our club and react positively. Together we can lead the change for the future. We call for a reconstitution of the board that includes effective, elected and accountable fan representation and not for members of the current Liverpool board to be that elected representative. This cannot be token representation, but one that has the golden share of the decision-making process. We believe this is both practical, practical and achievable. If FSG do not embrace this position, we will then consider how to respond. We must take this opportunity to work alongside other supporters, trust and the FSA to ensure the government's review into football governments includes giving fans a say in how their clubs are run, a true supporter's voice at the heart of decision-making. Thank you to all who took part in the survey. Will we keep you updated? I mean, Ross, it, is it, it's fantastic to see the work that Spirits of Shankly. These are all volunteers, first and foremost. Thousands of people now are members of Spirits of Shankly. You get to vote on the important things. This is only a good thing for Liverpool fans, what Spirits of Shankly are doing. 100%, yeah. Um, you know, I think we're quite fortunate we've got someone who's got a voice for kind of all of us. Otherwise, we'd be sat here having a different conversation. I think um, the results, I think... I think the way that they timed it as well, because I think had they done it on last Monday, Tuesday, I think they might have been slightly different because I include myself in this. There was a lot of knee-jerk reactions because we were rightly pissed off. Um, I said before I felt disrespected as a fan. Uh, I think it also hurt that Jurgen Klopp, the players, were also thrown in a position where they were disrespected as well and the trust had completely gone. But I think people came to realise what's the other options at this point. Um, you know, And those, Spirit Shankly, having a voice and, and sparring cop as well, of sticking up for us and... And doing what FSG should have done is asking the opinions of the actual fans. You know, we, we joked about it yesterday, but you know, again, again in business, what's the first thing you do when you're just starting something out, something new? Fucking market research, the fucking basics. And 
they're, they're essentially doing FSG's job, what they should have done in the first place for me. And, they, and yeah. yet they're being ignored, guys. Is yeah. there anything you want to add on to that one, Ben? Um, I, 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 like, I like the principle of it, but I, I just don't... Do, 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 does John Henry know Spirit of Shankly exists? I mean, he might do now. And that's what that's that's me worry. And the whole point for me, I personally, I I feel like it, the reason that they didn't do any consultation about the Super League was because they knew what the answer was going to be. So for me, like, okay, there's been a bit of an uproar about this, but I, I, do I see that change? And I'm not sure. I I, I don't. I don't. This is why we need reform, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This, well, this is why English football needs a reform. This is why fifty plus one is such a good idea because it gives the own it gives the voting rights back to the back to the fans. We did the around the league yesterday. I had you and Burns on, who's Man United fan. He writes for Italian football, and we talked about it. Like he's he's big into his German football as well, and he gave us a little bit of an insight into how fifty plus. 50 plus one really works. And he was talking about how like the whole reason that Dortmund and Bayern, it never got off the ground for them was because the owners could have gone for it, but it would have immediately just been swatted away by the fans because that's how 50 plus one works and the voting comes. But that isn't going to come from FSG. That's going to come from a higher place. That's going to come from, but you know, that, that's what's frankly that. asking for though, isn't it? Ben? Well, exactly. asking for Liverpool football club with FSG to lead the reform. Whether they'll get that, I'm not 100% sure, but the reform question needs to be had. I mean, if you're not a member of the FSA, go and go and go onto the FSA's website. They're emailing at the moment now about things as well. Go on, Ross, you want us to jump in? Yeah, and just, just kind of like, I, I do agree, Ben, but this is an olive branch to FSG. And he said in that statement, well, if you don't react to this, then we'll, we'll do something else. I think that comes from... Well, if they're out, if FSG out, what's next? You know, and we've all said this. What's to say we're not going to get some other venture capitalist who's just going to fucking ignore us? They've been at the club for a, what 10, 11 years. They've made several mistakes, and a lot of people are rightly pissed off with them. But this is to say, like fucking listen, you've got a chance to build some trust back by fucking listening to us. And if you don't, then that that's the end of it. So I think Henry Wynn said this last week. Come over here. Go and say sorry to John Anton's face. Go and say sorry to Jurgen Klopp, and go and speak to Spirit of Shankly. Because if you don't, there's no way of mending it. Yeah, and that's the thing for me is I, I massively respect what Spurs can do. I voted, uh, I voted in in that, uh, uh, of course. And you know, for me, I think there can be genuine change in football. I think there has to be genuine change in football because something needs to change. It isn't a normal business, as I mentioned earlier on, Sam. And you know. With regards to FSG and Spirits of Shankly, I hope that SOS will lead this charge and I'm damn sure that they will try their hardest to make sure the football is changing this country and more specifically at this football club, Sam. You're muted, Sam. You're muted, mate. You're muted, mate. You're muted the dog. Sorry, really, really interesting that. Um, for me, I'll be honest with you, I'm quite pragmatic about it all because I'm just realistic, to be honest. Um, I think the only one of that Paul, my opinion, that's relevant at all and kind of agrees with Ben to an extent is number three. It's about leading FSG. If FSG reached out to the fans and let 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 Spirit Shankly, you, you can't be negative about what they do because it's all it's all in the right spirit. Same with Spy and Cop and any other fan groups out there that are trying to give a voice, but but you've got to be very careful because there are millions and millions and millions of Liverpool fans around the world who, who all want different things, and we think we've seen that this week. So I think it's very dangerous to put someone like Spirit of Shankly at the front of the queue and say you're the people because you're people from one specific area mainly um, with a specific, with a set of agendas between you. You're not reaching out to Africa, to Asia, because that's what football f- fandom is now. You've got to be very Shankly's careful. open to everyone though, mate. You don't it, have to put is. your postcode in to join up. No, I agree with that, but just being realistic, it's a union, isn't it? it I, I, just think, I just think we've just got to be very careful about how we go about this because football is so much bigger 
than a localised sort of fan base who goes to the game. I, it, it's tricky. We've gone about it all day, but I feel like if FSG decided to join up with forces with the fans and say, okay, you know what? Like, I don't care about the mistakes because as fans, we, we, we're lost anyway a lot of the time. And we, we spoke about this over the last week about what we want, what we do, how we, how we allowed it to happen, so to speak. But if they did say, right, okay, we're going to be on board with you now and we're going to see if we can put a cost cap in because that would benefit them as well because they've been big FFP sort of fans, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So I think it would, it would be good to see. But at the same time, I'm not on board with the trusting, like, I don't know why they need to, us to trust them. It doesn't matter if we trust them or not because we're fans to them. Like We go to the match, we support our team, we do our thing. If we don't go the game, we miss out. If we take Liverpool Football Club out of our lives, it's us who's lost out. Okay, They will replace us, which just sounds awful, but it's just cold, hard facts. So this whole idea of trust for me is a bit overplayed. I think they need to go back and run the business as best as they possibly can. The Premier League needs to do what they need to do to stop it happening again. And... I don't really know where football goes now, to be honest. I don't really know what FSG can do. Can they really go, we're going to lead the charge and then just get faffed off by everybody else? Do you think Roman Abramovich is going to stop sports washing through Chelsea? Do you think the same is going to be at City and PSG? It's, it's, I feel like it's a bit fairy tale at the moment until there's legislation put in place. And that's just legislation kind of pragmatic. Key. No, legislation's key, and it has to be. Uh, we did have a super chat earlier on from Stevie O, who just gave us five quid, thank you so much, and said, Spirit of Shankly, uh, which is a nice way to sort of end the show. Anyway, gents, we could talk about this all day and all night, I am absolutely sure, but I think Sam's right. Legislation is key in this battle moving forward for football's soul.